Coaching and mentorship is one of the most simultaneously overrated and underrated topics. It's overrated because we talk about it a lot and recognize the importance of coaching, but it's underrated because we have a perception that there's a fixed barrier to be a coach and there's a finite number of coaches in the world. But what if you could leverage technology to abstract away all the difficult parts of running a coaching practice and give coaches a platform where they could focus on their true strengths? The result would be significant market expansion and additional coaches being unleashed in the world. And this is really interesting at scale ramifications. We can move to a world in which everyone in some sense has a personal coach, unleashing our own personal creativity by an additional factor. These possibilities are what we talked about this week with Julian Smith, founder and CEO of Practice. Julian was formerly the founder and CEO of Breather, where he raised over $120 million to revolutionize co-working spaces. Julian's one of the most interesting entrepreneurs of our generation, and I had to bring him back after we had a great discussion in episode 41. In this conversation, we touched on scaling, self-awareness, behavior change, pricing power, and support networks. Julian, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Julian, excited to have you back on the show today. I think you're the first uh, repeat guest. We had you on 18 months ago. A lot's evolved for you. You know, our last conversation, we went really deep into, you know, your background, right? Lessons on scaling, self-awareness, behavior change. Um, in, in this conversation, we won't rehash all those lessons. We're going to dive into mm-hmm. new company uh, practice. So before we do that, though, just give folks a, a quick reminder of your background, and then we'll, we'll jump into the new company that you started. Yeah, wow. Okay, so uh, going uh, forward, uh, my, my tech background is atypical from a Silicon Valley perspective. Like I didn't go to any school. I didn't work at a hot company. Uh, I mostly worked at a bad companies. And then uh, my start in tech really happened through podcasting. Uh, when I was around 25 in 2004, I started one of the world's first podcasts. I started the world's first hip hop podcast, Strange But True. And, uh, and it got picked up by Sirius Satellite Radio in around 2005. And so Uh, I went from uh, having a regular job, Uh, I actually worked in a call center for a mobile phone company, to uh, having a internationally kind of known show and blog over time. Uh, And so I ran that show for many years uh, as a podcast and on Sirius Satellite Radio. It's called In Over Your Head, and the blog was inoveryourhead.net. It's still there. And, uh, And so that... I led to early discovery of social media, you know, very in the very, very uh, sort of heyday beginning of that phenomenon. I was in the first 10,000 users on Twitter. And, uh, and the result of that was, uh, you know, being invited to conferences to speak. We wrote ebooks, me and another co-author. And then all of a sudden someone gave us a book deal. Uh, and so it really, really goes from media podcasting to traditional publishing, where I, uh, me and a co-author published a book called Trust Agents, one of three books that I eventually wrote and uh, published. Uh, This one was instant New York Times bestseller the first time that it came out. uh, And that was really huge for me. Uh, By that time, I was running my own business online, an affiliate marketing business, a podcasting and blogging business. And uh, then I had this best-selling book, I wrote three books about marketing and about psychology and a bunch of other things like that. And then over time, I decided I wanted to start a, I mean, this is a, it seems like a bunch of random uh, uh, shifts, but you know, 
they they were thought through. I feel at the time, I ended up starting a venture back business because I really really believed in the idea of private space and being able to. I thought that there was a phenomenon around private space and how private space could be more effectively used. And I started a company called Breather. Uh, Breather raised its first round of funding in 2013 and went on to raise under uh, with me as CEO around 150 million dollars. 250 employees, huge teams in New York, teams in San Francisco, even in London and Toronto and Montreal, where the first company, uh, where the first uh, headquarters was based. And I ran that company as CEO and then I transitioned into a chairman and we hired an executive team. And now I run a company called Practice uh, and Practice is at practice.do. It is focused on uh, the software that is needed for coaching or for consultants in order to help them run their business so that they can be just excellent at their craft uh, without having to worry about the headache of actually running an everyday uh, sort of freelance or one person solo entrepreneur business. Last time we chatted, Julian, we, we dug pretty deeply into self-awareness and why you felt that that was key right, to being a successful entrepreneur. You, you just described mm -hmm. practice and what you're up to now. Um, Talk a little bit more about why you started it. I mean, one of the things that I really pulled away from our conversation last time mm -hmm. was just the importance of helping people get to self-awareness. And I mean, that's so much of, you know, what coaches obviously do. There's obviously, you know, much more than that as well. But why did you start a business in the coaching space, right? What motivated yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fascinating. So I, I, something that you may not know from my history and that I didn't really talk about a great deal is that my father was certified as a coach in 1978. And that is the principle that career that he had his entire life. And so I was uh, indoctrinated or whatever into coaching and the ecosystem of it and the language and the books and all of these other things from the you know very beginning of my life, which is a really different career for someone to have in that time. And I mean, obviously it was the only coach that I knew and that I had in my life, right? You didn't really get a lot of engineers that were your neighbors or teachers that were your neighbors or bus drivers or what have you, but very few coaches in people's ecosystem. And so I started out with that. And, uh, and so I have a huge background in it, but also I was surrounded by coaches my whole, my whole life. And I was supported by executive coaches while being a CEO at Breather. Uh, I had fitness coaches that supported me throughout all kinds of things. And I, I just came to realize that fundamentally, um, even though you do a lot of the personal work as an entrepreneur, or really just as someone kind of trying to get through life and doing the best that you can, uh, you really cannot do it or you do it best rather with a, a support network or a social network that follows you. And one of the huge isolating things that occurs with entrepreneurs specifically, but really with a lot of people is that they are massively isolated and they don't have an ability to really be able to mirror their stuff off of others. And so I thought that that was a super interesting space to explore. And as we explored it, we discovered that coaches are doing obviously amazing, helpful work for a lot of people, and that the software that is used to help them is largely like puzzle pieces that they jigsaw together in order to be able to build something that works for them, but nothing has ever really been built for them. And so the language you used earlier is being able to focus on your craft. And I think in 2020, uh, there are a set of people, solo entrepreneurs of all types, coaches are an excellent example of them, that just need something that they can say, this is my thing, 
Now I just focus on my craft and on helping my business grow instead of what are the tools that I will use? Will they sync? Uh, you know, and the hundreds of other hours you can spend in a year uh, doing, doing background work, right? When in fact, you should just be getting good at your job. What's changed when you think back to your father's experience, right, of coaching and, and throughout the duration of his career in coaching? You know, what are, what are some of the big threads you look at over the last, call it, 30, 40 years in coaching that have fundamentally stayed the same and then on the flip side, you know, are just completely different if you're a coach in 2020, you know, versus yeah. when your father was mm. a coach? Yeah, my father was a career coach that uh, was hired primarily to work with executives that were transitioning out of one company and maybe into another. And uh, so he was a little bit uh, like George Clooney in Up in the Air, if you remember that movie. And so what he would do is he would come in and an executive coach would be given a package, let's say a 12-month package to transition out of a business. Uh, excuse me, an executive would be brought out of a business. And then my father would coach them over that period and would be able to say, okay, so what is the next move you want to make? It became part of a package that uh, executives were given when they uh, were being laid off because of some economic situation or whatever. And so it's interesting to really observe that. And, and I, there's a lot that you see in terms of the, the difference in my life and how my career presented itself, which is really a series of all kinds of different terms versus the way that uh, you know, someone traditionally might have chosen a career as a result of pressure from their family or something like that. I was given no such pressure, right? And so I really dawdled along and found random paths to get me in all kinds of places. But what, what you do notice, and it, it is a huge difference, even from East Coast to West Coast, but also throughout that period of those decades, is that the majority of people that are getting coaching are getting psychological you know, it's sort of like a mirroring behavior that is happening as a result of the coaching that they're doing, but they're doing it almost like as an excuse uh, through business, a business transaction. Uh, there's still, you know, there's, there's a period of, there's a sort of a segment of life coaches that exist. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a weird, deep world, which we can kind of maybe get into. But uh, there's a huge growth now in terms of, executives that have coaches, uh, you know, you see Bill Campbell with that book, Trillion Dollar Coach, who was the coach for a lot of different executives in Silicon Valley and how he was able to support them and help them do the best work that they wanted to do. Uh, this acceptance that uh, there is no such thing as a solo successful person that just does everything with the pure power of their will is starting to like really come to bear. And what do you really notice in, in, in Silicon Valley, because mostly what I'm, the executive coaching practice that I have now is with first time CEOs who are technical CEOs in a lot of cases and who have never been CEOs. And they, uh, they, they have, they do really, really hard work and they're deeply isolated and they have nobody to ask questions of. And uh, it's really remarkable what you see in startups when you're on the inside of a CEO's head as close as possible to them. And in a safe environment, you really see how it could be a super destabilizing type of work to do. So it becomes, coaches, coaches become some of the most effective uh, people to be able to do good for a business, but also to be able to do good for a person. 
because they were sort of led in through the front door of, oh, I help you become a CEO, but then they ultimately do so much psychological work to make sure that the person just stays sane while, while they run their, their business, right? Which is such insane, hard personal work. So there is an acceptance that's going on, and even now that you see it kind of evolving, uh, but a lot of coaches are still very old school, and they come from that kind of old school of work and old certifications and so on, but the world is really changing rapidly and a huge amount of it is coming from tech, I think. Let's break down, um, I want you to break down kind of the coaching market, if you will, right? I think what you were just alluding to, you know, listeners will kind of hear and say, okay, you know, it mm-hmm. sounds like kind of a class of certifications. There's obviously, sure. right, different types of methodologies, right, pedagogy, mm-hmm. et cetera. There's gonna be coaches that are focused on you know, more like life coaching type, you know, uh, sure. we're going to be focused that are you know, focused on tech, on business, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Just the, just the kind of 50,000 foot view of how do you think about just the coaching landscape? Like, how do we wrap our head for, for outsider mm-hmm. to coaching? How do we wrap yeah. up what's going on in that market? Yeah. So it's not exactly the most, um, the, the sexiest profession to talk about at a cocktail party, right? Because the work that you do seems very, uh, as another coach that I uh, know, it would, we would call it woo-woo. And what we mean by woo-woo is it's like, ah, uh, it's like a flip-flop type of work. Uh, it's different when you add a, a sort of a, a qualifier to it, right? So if you're an executive coach, it's like, ah, oh, okay, that's serious. If you're a CEO coach, it's like, oh, this is serious work. If you're uh, a career coach, there's a set of different segments like that. And primarily their objective is to sort of like make something more efficient inside of a, usually like a larger corporation. And so there'll be coaches that help people become better managers, a set of different segments all across, uh, usually uh, when there's a lot of dollars at play. And so that's a massive, like it's a, these are billion dollar industries, these things, right? uh, various sort of segments of them. And typically the objective is uh, either make someone really excellent at their job or help uh, help them uh, compensate for their weaknesses. Maybe they're going to survive or maybe they're going to get fired or some other thing like that. And so there's a huge sort of segment of this space that is really primarily focused on uh, enterprise and it's really in smaller businesses that it's starting to become more and more and more prevalent. Someone I was actually just uh, doing an interview with a, mo- a moment ago, Peter Shallard runs a business, Commit Action, that is specifically focused at solo entrepreneurs, for example, that need to be held accountable to someone else. And currently they're, they have no one else to become accountable to. So literally someone picks up the phone to, and calls them every week and be like, hey, you remember all that stuff that you wanted to do? Uh, well, did you actually do it? Right. And so what you will see now is almost like a focus on the long tail. At practice, we see a lot of this. So the one that stands out to me recently is a uh, coach who is a litigator who coaches other lawyers on being able to compel juries more effectively. A remarkably specialized part of the job that you wouldn't think would uh, have a whole sort of micro industry around it, but actually it does. Just the same way there are pregnancy coaches and the same way that there are language uh, um, uh, accent coaches inside of acting. And there's a huge, huge number of these things that are for tiny, specialized, highly useful and highly expensive uh, areas where people need to succeed. And so, uh, you know, example of 
performance coaches for Olympic athletes to help them perform under pressure, et cetera. And then you have this whole other segment, which is the, um, uh, which is meaningful, uh, which is not expensed by a company. And this is, you can call it a life coach segment, or you can call it a, a it's, it's a big miasma of people who A, are not expensing it if they're a customer. And so the, obviously the big difference there, as another coach once said it to me, is someone is paying this coach and they're choosing this coaching work instead of choosing to go on vacation because it's actually not cheap, right? It's gonna sit in a hundred to multi-hundred dollar an hour range uh, for executive coaches and other things like that. You could end up taking a tiny percentage of a company and you could end up being paid $500, $1,000 an hour or even more multi thousand dollars uh, over a month to be able to sort of have a regular monthly retainer to be able to uh, interact with someone specific if they're like exclusive or difficult or have a lot of experience. Uh, and so inside of life coaching is a weird uh, space where, where people do a lot of the most difficult work because it's harder to get a customer in the first place. It's harder to get a customer to stay over a longer period of time. Uh, and also people are more vulnerable because they have to come without access to being able to say, oh, I need you, I need to become a better manager. I need to become a better CEO. They need to come in and say, oh, uh, I might be getting divorced or uh, I'm having trouble in my career and I feel like I'm getting stuck and I'm in hitting middle age or whatever, you know? And so these are the two sort of distinctions, but really uh, anywhere inside of both of these categories are an infinite long tail of people that help others uh, either get unstuck personally or help them do great work. And it's fascinating really to be able to delve into it. I get to talk to hundreds of coaches throughout the job of uh, helping to build this business, right? As co-founder and CEO. And uh, it's really, really remarkable to see it. And it's remarkable to see how uh, undiscovered it is and how specialized it becomes. And so how do you think of those two segments? So you've got this kind of right non, right? Mm -hmm. Reimbursable part. You've got the opposite side, which is expensable reimbursable. I imagine mm -hmm. talking to you know this cohort of coaches, yeah. horizontal kind of foundation that's pretty similar, right? Between these mechanics, I can see you know, if you're a coach in either segment, you have similar kind of pain points. But then, as you're mm -hmm. saying, there's kind of a long tail in both of those. There's going to be all sorts of nuances in terms of like that's what right. Yeah. Right? So how do you think? I mean, there's. I, I imagine there's a canonical, you know, we're starting a startup, we're focusing in segment A, you know, B, and there's a plan. But at a more kind of philosophical yeah. level, how do you think about kind of divide, you know, um, putting the bridge between those two together? And is that even a problem that you're interested in solving? Or it's really, you know, optimizing for one of those segments and just solving for one of those segments? To, to tell you the truth, I think that the majority of the work is the same in all of them. Okay. And what is what is interesting is how often I will assume that someone is doing their work and their work is being expensed into a company and then but actually it won't be and they're coaching primarily individuals through personal situations and uh, and how 
uh, interested they are to be able to get to the other side, but they've never been able to get a customer uh, inside of a company to actually get an expense, right? And because it's, 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 it's really radical in terms of uh, how easy the work is to get, because even now today you have companies like BetterUp and Torch that have whole enterprise go-to-markets where they deliberately will go to, I don't know, Cisco. I have no idea if Cisco is a better up client, but they could be. And they say, we will coach your managers and we will find all the coaches and we'll take a percentage of the transaction and we'll provide a set of tools to make sure that these coaches do good work, right? Versus uh, us at practice being focused on the software side and being able to deliver that to anyone that would like it. And so uh, you really have, uh, among all of those people, you have a set of, of similar problems, which is essentially focused on, you could almost think about it as a little professional CRM, because I, what you don't see in a lot of cases is the history of relationship that you've had with someone, uh, they've paid you this time, what are the things that you talked about, uh, what are the focus points, what are the hard uh, parts that you had to deal with during this part. How is it different in 2019 and 2020? Um, all of that kind of sitting is sitting all over the place. And just the way that you, you know, uh, out in tech, we've always talked about personal CRMs and how they don't really exist for individuals. They more, more exist for uh, companies and their customers. Uh, it becomes remarkable when it's just two people on one side, one side or another, how you accidentally end up building like a little CRM for someone who just has a set of professional relationships and you're helping them manage it. You do inside of coaching, but in reality, it could be used for anything, right? And so that's sort of the, if you abstract away, that's really what we're building in practice. We're building a CRM from a professional perspective that is helping professional relationships stay organized as someone does their work and that helps them facilitate, okay, what's the next thing that I'm supposed to be doing or looking back on it and going, okay, what does the last year between me and this client look like? And why is that the angle of solving the problem? You mentioned Torch, you mentioned better up. There's obviously, you know, again, from a layman's perspective, when I look at the coaching market, you've got, you know, on one side, you've got this just huge long tail fragmentation of individual yeah. coaches, right? Kind of one off small. You've got these kind of like managed marketplaces, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Right. And it's really just about connecting coaches to connecting, you know, to companies. Mm -hmm. um, you've got, you know, your, your focus is really the software side, right? Purely the software side, mm -hmm. uh, that horizontal stack, right? Or vertical stack yeah. of what you need to use to run an effective coaching practice. Why mm -hmm. do you think that, that is the angle to enter this market in, in from versus mm -hmm. those alternative approaches that are already out there? Yeah, so there's a few reasons for that, uh, but the I would say the main one uh, is that when you are focused on the software from a vision perspective for me, my history has always been around building things to empower people to do good work. It's what I did at Breather in order to give people almost like a form of instant office or instant meeting space without any need for security deposits or any, you know, three months of rent up front or any other sort of permanence that is typically demanded inside of real estate. Instead, it's like completely uh, ephemeral and instantly almost disposable in a sense. 
in a way that's never really been done before. Similarly, there's an empowerment of the individual that I really focused on in my writing career. Trust Agents was really built on being able to use uh, social networks in 2009, 2010, when it wasn't a common phenomenon. It's interesting to look back on it now, as you look at brands, even when you look at like this ocean spray, uh, you know, the skateboard thing that really happened over the past like couple weeks or whatever, that has been a sort of huge, weird phenomenon that happened on TikTok and Instagram. And you're like, oh yeah, like this is the way that brands interact with uh, the social web today. And it's what we talked about 10 years ago and we told them to do it. But I, have ne I don't really even make that connection that I wrote that book 10 years ago. But similarly, it's about empowering people to be able to go out and do the work that they need to be able to do using modern tools. And so similarly, this is a toolkit is the way that we think about it. It's being able to take someone who's never run a business before, but who has a, a set of latent expertise. It's actually really valuable. Uh, I'm super compelled as well by a set of increasingly uh, older workers in second periods in their career, right? Almost nobody is a coach that has never done anything else. Uh, typically, ideally, uh, they have gone through something and they have a set of expertise, although uh, perhaps sometimes not. But definitely, if you have something to contribute that's super meaningful, it helps on the marketing side and it helps you be a better coach. So. I think that there is a huge amount of undiscovered, not online material that I'm super interested in bringing online. You can see how you get enough coaches in Phoenix and then you can provide an ability to let that be discoverable later on, right? Or that's from a uh, sort of uh, a geo by geo perspective. On the opposite side, if there are a set of litigation coaches who focus on convincing juries, you could see how you as a litigator might want to see the number, uh, the 25 most relevant ones. And it's actually impossible for you to do that right now, except through Google, right? And so you can see lots of different opportunities on the customer side. You can see a lot of opportunities on the coach side. And, um, and it helps that they're, that coaches are just amazing people to spend time with. And so, uh, in at breather, I accidentally ended up running a real estate company was surrounded by real estate people, which is not my original objective. When I started this business, uh, here, it was very much my objective to be surrounded by coaches who try to do really tough emotional work with people, uh, because they need to be, they need to let the customer be completely selfish in every possible way. Let them be 100% focused on them and not at all focused on the coach uh, almost at all, except when that coach needs to actually like be able to bring, I don't know, some mentorship or some other thing like that. So uh, it also helps people that do really hard work and being able to help helpers is I think a really high leverage way to have a big impact on the world, ideally. We, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and I want to pick up on that thread you just said of kind of having impact on the world. You know, one of the things we were talking about, your take on it is, you know, we were doing kind of a thought experiment of, you know, what if we, if you take, you know, the, the number of coaches that are out there, you expand the market, right? Really anybody that has a skill and knowledge, et cetera, right? With a framework, mm -hmm. be a coach. And you succeeded at unlocking, you know, an extra 1% of human potential right? Mm -hmm. What would the impact on the world be, 
right? I, I want to get your, yeah. kind of your philosophical and your more macro level take, Julian, mm -hmm. how you think about that, especially when you're thinking of kind of the opportunities at scale. You were talking about some of them mm -hmm. you know, applying across geos, right? Specialties, so on and so forth. One of the mm -hmm. things that's really exciting to me about the business, again, looking at it outside in, is if you do succeed at, at kind of an interesting level of scale, mm -hmm. actually, you know, that kind of dial of increasing productivity of, you know, a half a percent in the world, whatever it might be, it actually sure. has a pretty meaningful end impact, right? On mm -hmm. industries, on people, on relationships, so on and so forth. Talk a little bit more just about how you think about that as you're building the business. Yeah. So the way that I think about it, it's, it's the, it is perhaps the sort of sent the same end thing that happens, the same end state, but it's through a different way of examining it, which is to say that almost all of the mentorship, the latent expertise, all of that stuff is sort of all locked away and unknown. And there's a huge amount of things that I know as uh, being a CEO, being a fundraiser from uh, having been in uh, interested in fitness my whole life from my own things that I've had to grapple with as someone with epilepsy, with someone who has hearing problems, like all of these other things that I have. And 99% of all this stuff is all locked away and will never be discovered by anyone, right? And uh, people do it in an informal capacity by being on podcasts or being on blogs or, or writing their own things or being on Twitter for that matter. But there's an enormous amount of it that just sit, sits latently away and uh, maybe is only sort of examined when uh, you know someone has a kid and then they have to teach them about life or something like that, right? And so uh, it seems to me that there is still an enormous amount of just undiscovered mentors and mentorship that can be unlocked and just be like, look, here are the things that I can bring to the table and that I, uh, you know, often during the average day do not, right? Just because nobody asks me. And so I'm super fascinated by that problem. And the fact that, uh, that you need to unlock that stuff accidentally right now in an accidental conversation where someone will say, oh, actually, yeah, I almost drowned. Uh, someone I know was actually uh, in a, uh, a shipwreck. This is true. And, uh, and but you never really explore, oh, what, what happened to you when this happened, right? And, and this is never, uh, it's never become sort of useful or uh, let's say practical information for, for someone to be able to draw away from. And, and, and so that is a hugely from a macro perspective, you focus on an everyday business when you're a CEO, you focus on getting customers in the door, making it compelling for them. You focus on those customers being able to do their best work, all these other things on building a good team, et cetera. Uh, but to be able to have a vision that is that grand, that really helps people unlock a lot of the latent stuff that they have all around them and that they themselves don't even value is really compelling as an idea as to why to do something. Julian, as we, as we round out the conversation, I have, I have two questions for you and they, they kind of relate in part, but they're slightly different. One mm -hmm. is um, I'm really fascinated by, you know, kind of the number the hundreds of coaches you have talked to in building practice. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most non-intuitive things you've learned, right? That's, that's number one. 
Um, and then the second question, which is, you know, in part related to that is, you know, when you think of the business and when you think of what you're really aspiring to build again at scale, right? The, you know, the simplistic definition of kind of software for coaches or so on and so forth, that's, that's readily and easily understood. Um, but I want you to talk a little bit just, you know, as we kind of round out the conversation, that deeper insight of really, you know, what it is you're building and if it succeeds, you know, what the ramifications are, you know, for coaches. Mm, yeah, it's such, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, you end up talking to hundreds of coaches and uh, what you learn is that a lot of them were successful in lots of you know, actually before any of this you you learn amazing stories for, of people and because when you when you ask people uh, why they became a coach uh, there's almost always some strange thing that caused it to happen because it's a really unusual uh, a practice to have and and that means that you hear an angle in a story uh, that almost no one ever asked them because actually coaches are, are very good, as I said, at helping the customer, helping them have that selfish time. And so no one ever asked them, oh, how did you become a coach and why did you become one? And gets the story from them as to this wild path that caused that to happen. So one of the first things is the enormous amount of stories that it creates and that you get access to just from being able to, to run a business like this. So it's super unusual. Uh, and then... The other thing is uh, the amount of selflessness that it really demands, as I kind of said, like uh, it, is, it, it is super hard work having now done it myself, but also seeing people do it. It's almost like they're called to it the way I feel that people might a long time ago have been called to like the priesthood or something like that. And in a way, I sometimes believe that coaches, therapists, other sort of people in those, in those sort of talking type of professions where they get confessed two, so to speak, are replacing a lot of religious institutions in fragmented, weird ways because we lack the same civic structure that we, that we had maybe a hundred years ago or a number of hundred years ago, but the human needs are the same. And, uh, it, you know, it used to be free and hard or something like that to talk to, I don't know, your uncle or your priests because they were in your community. Now it is not free for sure, but also that person is much more distant, which might actually allow for a better objectivity. So there's all kinds of different little micro changes there, but the humans remain the same. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's it's such a, an amazing space to explore specifically because it's so hidden away in a lot of ways and because it's growing from a market size it's growing really quickly per year the acceptance is growing even faster than the market size and so you can see how the potential for it uh, over the coming few years is really interesting and that's why uh, when you when you run a business especially a venture-backed business you see it reach a certain scale you realize to make anything happen it's going to take a good five to ten years and so to me that connection between customers you could really love and love to help and love to work with a team that you really want to be able to work with all these other things you don't get to do many 10-year five-year 10-year plans this is what why it was my choice to work on this of all things that's a that's a really interesting nugget and tidbit to leave the conversation on i really like the way i like the way you frame that um that the, the way you frame that at the end i i never 
I don't think I pulled the thread of kind of how in, in a sense, but it makes complete sense the way you're articulating it. This really is kind of a secondary civic structure. It's almost like a shadow civic structure that's rising in place, you know, of one that is becoming more reticent and that it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's diminishing away of sorts. Julian, this was, this was awesome. I'm so glad you came back, you know, on the podcast. Um, you know, talk a little bit more about what you're up to. It's always fun, you know, seeing folks uh, that have succeeded in so many different ways, um, you know, jumping onto the next project. What I really respect about you and what I'm really excited about continuing to watch the practices, it, you're right, it does kind of continue this thread that you've had a, a strong impact on, which is building things that empower uh, other people. So I'm excited to continue to watch, uh, you know, the company unfold. I'm sure our listeners are as well. You know, thanks again. Really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I had a great time.